0: Do you want to tell everybody what happened yesterday? Yeah, it was. Or should ba- I? I
1: was babysitting my adult toddler all goddamn day. Because uh, some people, you know, we're, we're driving, getting errands. All is fine in the world. And then all of a sudden, I, I go to read or take a nap. I don't know what I was doing, but someone wants to make mashed potatoes.
0: Well, it started before that.
1: It did? Do you want me to tell the story? I don't remember at this point. I. Well, mama had to have five Greyhounds to block it all out.
0: As Will said, yeah, of course, like the uh, grocery shopping and everything, the dangerous part of the day went just fine. We ventured out into the world. All things considered, it was four hours. Yeah. It takes four hours to grocery shop now, Mm. among other things. But anyway. But when we got home, do you remember what happened then? That's when it all began.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah shlemiel and shlemazel all in one person emerged <laughs> and then knocked over like a wine bottle that like an empty one granted
0: we have a menagerie of empty wine bottles on top of our cabinetry for
1: reasons why don't we just throw them away I, we your should dad's just, not gonna want to we
0: should just throw them away like that's yeah yeah I they're know. grease fires at the they, grease they've been up well. there for what five years Probably for more. For, yeah um, but at, in addition to the wine bottles, there's also several Trader Joe's bags. It's also where we keep paper towels. So, yeah. and
1: some people it, like to just force things on top of things. Well, in a you know, inelegantly.
0: In the in the quarantine, we have more supply on hand than one typically is wont to do. Yes. So, in an effort to shove more paper towels than possible on mm. top of the cabinets, I. Uh, Sort of like those those um, machines in arcades that like push quarters slowly off the side, do you know what i 'm talking uh, about?
1: Oh, yeah, kind of. It was a
0: situation like that where I put one too many things up there and it finally forced a precarious bottle yeah. down now <laughs> because we have a household full of useless glassware
1: the glassware was safely stored in a bag that i chose to use for the outing because going to the wine store let me take the wine bag it's got compartments bing bang, boom done let me take these glasses out temporarily the first time they've seen the light of day or air in years yes and that was their last day
0: well yeah, unfortunately yeah well that explains it see i didn't know what they were doing on the counter I was hoping that I had a legitimate excuse to resent you for leaving your things around. No, 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 no. But no. I don't, actually. You just did a responsible thing. Yeah. Yeah, so this wine bottle is pushed off the edge, lands on six vintage glasses, all stacked on one another. <sighs> yeah. And now only two survive. It was only four. It was only uh, four was, uh, total?
1: Uh, No, actually, mm, yeah, it was six.
0: It was six. There was six glasses there, and now only two live. And only two uh, of the
1: medium size and none of the other size?
0: Uh, Yeah, I guess none. <laughs> I, I think they're hidden. I think they're still <laughs> Ma- hidden. Maybe there's more. But but anyway, this sends glass flying everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there's glass in the sink. There's glass in the hallway. There's glass on the oven. There's glass, glass in, in my in grocery my bag. Yeah. There was glass in the glass of water that I was drinking, yeah. which I discovered later.
1: You didn't dump it out. What? I didn't
0: <sighs> want to waste it.
1: I I thought that I didn't have to say dump that water glass out. Don't drink. From no,
0: it. no, I drank about three quarters of it, and then I got a little piece, and I was like, uh oh. <sighs> and I.
1: How many shards are in your gut right now?
0: I don't know, man. But I got a I got a I got a system that could digest lead, so I'm not really worried about it. Okay, well, that'd be a funny thing to go to the hospital for during core.
1: I accidentally drank some glass. I only drank glass, and they're like. Well, fuck it. We don't even know. I don't like, I, and I'd be like, I don't know. I don't
0: know either. So, yeah, we finally get the glass situation resolved after much vacuuming, much sweeping,
1: much tiny shards in my uh, thickened heel.
0: Oh, yeah. There's still tiny, tiny shards in yeah. the kitchen grout.
1: No, uh, maybe a couple.
0: But so now it's dinner time, and <clears throat> here we are. And I decide, uh oh, there's flies around our stock of root vegetables. There wasn't a lot of flies, just to be clear. We're not gross. It was, it was a fly. There was a fly, and I thought, this is bad.
1: That was an outside fly that got in, by the
0: way. Maybe, but I thought, okay, we need to get rid of some of this stuff. Okay. So I'm going to make mashed potatoes. Now, <sighs> I was pretty sure I knew how to do it. I knew all the right ingredients.
1: Actually, no. What we learned is, no, you don't. <laughs> you I knew know why? most
0: of the right, right ingredients.
1: But when I said, oh, do you want me to tell you how to do it the, the good fatty way, like like a good fatty? Because mashed potatoes are inherently a fatty food. Yeah. Like, that's a fat kid par excellence num-num snack. Right. Like, if anyone knows how to make them, hello. Um, but no, 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 I know how to do it. I'm going to make it healthier. Uh-huh. Okay.
0: Yeah, this so was what'd my you idea. Do? I'd, so what'd you do? I um, Well, I read part of a recipe, because this, this is how I cook. I need a little guidance. So I read part of a recipe. That's where I got the majority of the ingredients from. And then I read... Did the f- you just stop then? Yeah, basically. I read the first step and it said, put the milk in the thing and start heating it up. So I did that.
1: That's not the first step. Well, that's
0: what that was the first step in this recipe. Take it up with the all recipes, folks. It's not my responsibility now. My stopping reading is my responsibility. And I thought, oh, okay, I get the gist of this. Oh, I know you the You start why. to heat up the ingredients and then you just mash it all together. Perfect. Yeah. This will go fast. So... I chopped up all my potatoes, chopped up my garlic. Meanwhile, the milk is simmering. The butter is simmering. I'm letting it all get melty. And then I dumped the potatoes in there and I went to town with the immersion blender. But
1: didn't cook the fucking
0: potatoes. There was a critical step I wasn't aware of.
1: The reason why you're heating the milk is so when you add them to the potatoes, they don't shock the the starches as a cold liquid.
0: Listen, man, I think we've determined that I don't really care about the chemistry of cooking.
1: Okay, but, like, if you understand the chemistry of cooking, like, you can not make those mistakes and then fix them.
0: Hey, I'm all about, like, working from first principles, but when it comes to cooking, I've made it this far without learning them. So I feel justified in my ignorance. Yeah, and
1: how's your uh, potato slop I had to rescue, for Christ's sake?
0: Well, so eventually I ask Will, I'm like, hey, uh, this doesn't seem to be working. Why is it so, like, watery and lumpy? And he comes over and (laughs) and discovers that I didn't boil the potatoes, yeah. And so I'm like, well, what can we do with this? And he's like, I thought you were only making a little bit. And I said, well, I only started out making a little bit. But when it wasn't getting mashed potato-y, I put more potatoes in there. Yeah,
1: because that's that's the solu- that's <laughs> never the solution. The solution is never add more of the same thing that's causing the problem. It's never the thing.
0: That's a really good point.
1: Like, that's not like, you know, if you're if you're flooding your basement, you don't go... Well, maybe if we put some more concrete on the bottom, it'll get the water out. No,
0: no, that's true it's It's like, uh, yeah, I was definitely like throwing coal on the fire, yeah, at it's... a certain point.
1: <sighs> so lo and behold, I go, okay, so what we're gonna do? we're gonna add some stock, get it a little bit more liquidy, so these little starchy bastards can actually like come to something of cooked because they were raw, and I had to go like because there's a reason why they're called palm de terre apples of the earth and i gave you like a little spoonful i was like try that what does that taste like oh raw and crispy Uh uh-huh
0: yeah i also didn't i didn't know you can't eat raw potatoes that just never occurred to me
1: yeah you don't glue up your insides Mm -hmm. um plus also like if the skins aren't like it's there's still dirt on it like if you didn't like clean the shit out of them brush every speck of dirt on it
0: uh i i rinsed them i didn't clean them extremely thoroughly a little bit of dirt is good for you it keeps you healthy. keeps that immune system up.
1: No, actually, uh, no, because uh, what happened at those uh, chi Cheese? What was that?
0: Oh, yeah, people got salmonella from Chi-Chi's, I believe.
1: No, it was, like, hepatitis. Oh, wow. Like, you'll get, worse. like, something, like, bad because of, I mean, think about it. Oh, like,
0: because the farmers in the field have hepatitis, and then they're, you know, no, doing their business. No, it's because
1: fertilizer is just shit. Uh-huh. And y- you're pulling potatoes out of shit, and then maybe giving them a once-over, but usually not. Uh huh. think about it yeah so you're either going to stop yourself up completely or have a fire sale on both ends (laughs) so either way so now you we made it into a a grotten ish that now is just a nice base for potato pancakes i guess
0: yeah right now it is cooked will managed to get the potatoes cooked through a procedure of simmering then baking uh but it's an extremely bland sludge because I forgot that you should put salt in mashed potatoes. That yeah. was the other critical ingredient yeah. I didn't
1: remember. Yeah, did, sort of read the ingredient list and then stopped at direction one. Yes. Yes. A melted pot of water to a boil and potatoes, step one. Shouldn't that be step one? That's always would step one. You think
0: that would be step one. You know what? But I... I think
1: the problem is that everyone pretty much knows how to cook a fucking potato. So, like, you can't fault that recipe writer for being like, everybody knows. Why are we
0: like. I'm blaming it on the recipe industrial complex. It was one of these websites where they have a five page long story before you finally get to the list of ingredients oh. and subsequent steps. So, yeah. by the time I'd sorted through that and several advertisements just to get what I came for, I was exhausted. Yeah, that's. Although I do take your point that it is a known thing that you need to boil potatoes. So, that yeah. omission, I can't really fault them for. No.
1: I mean, what you're describing is the terror of current food culture where you have to go like, well, my father was murdered a, and the body disposed of in a well, and this is my uh, potato leek soup that I cry into for salt. Yeah, like, exactly. What... Girl, get to the point. What? It's like...
0: fucking mashed potatoes. There's not a story.
1: Well, it's like, I remember... picture Except it. Except in this case. <laughs> picture it. Thanksgiving, 1770. Well, no, that's 1492. <laughs> yes, you know. <laughs> um, you know, we got some people with the feathers and the guys with the the black shoes they're ch- having a meal they're <laughs> boiling a cauldron they throw some potatoes in bing bang boom someone's got a cow mashed potatoes it's my it's my <laughs> favorite story uh my people came over on the mayflower and you're like whoa no you didn't and this is not short story time i know that you popped out kids instead of finishing your uh english degree right but put it away we're, we're trying to feed some people here yep 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 but I don't know if that's better or worse than the, the Bon Appetit culture of calling things cute names. Like a Caesar salad, they call it C-Sal, C-A-E-S-A-L, two separate words. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever fucking I
0: have through. to tell you, I didn't know that, but I hate that more.
1: I think I hate that more. Like cutifying yeah. food to make it like <laughs> irreverent. It's like, yeah, a
0: Caesar salad is fucking delicious. Well, it's the millennial baby syndrome that we've talked about ad infinitum. Like, <sighs> no, guys... Just use the whole name of the thing. There's no reason to give pet names to anything except maybe your significant other and a dog.
1: Like, because when I see that, I'm like, that's not even a word because I just pronounce it K-Sal?
0: Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't... Like a normal person? I wouldn't even understand what they were going for if I saw that written on a page.
1: It's 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 like the Instagramification of food, which you're like, it already is. Like, just
0: stop. Well, you know what? Maybe I suffer from this exact same problem. Like... You don't even have the patience to read an entire word.
1: No, you. I, I, think, so, I think the trauma of a bottle falling on your head might have, you know.
0: Yeah, I was shaken up yesterday. That's for sure.
1: It was also your come down day of being too high from 420, blaze it up, bro. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was blazing it up on 420 looking at waifus. Ugh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just wait for it. Just wait. There we go. That was your whole day. That sound was your whole day yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe perhaps this. And you were down to your last life. I would maybe. say it was a
0: it was a combination of both things. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just jamming coins in that arcade machine trying to fire Ooh. it back up. And it didn't really work, I have to be honest. I don't know. I don't I still don't think I've recovered from it. I think today is my shell shocked day.
1: Oh, well yeah, and then I pwned you in uh Scrabble by a hundred points. Which...
0: Yeah, that oh my god, we should talk about that. That was alarming. Although I feel like you playing Scrabble online and me not doing it is cheating. Why? Because you can't do that. I'm
1: playing against the, dummies.
0: The Scrabble Online game tells you if a word is valid or not. So you're learning all these words by just trying out the letters and I don't have that luxury. I have to I'm learning what... I have to remember it with my brain.
1: I'm learning what words that I think are fine are that are not accepted by the yeah scrabble dictionary like quo i was like that's not a scrabble right. word even though in usage they don't like latinet for some reason but they like
0: old english yeah i wonder and like why that is spanish be, phrases hmm. yeah
1: it's a very strange kind of i don't know
0: i would really like to know who at scrabble makes those determinations because they are fine with certain colloquial uh, yeah alter and alternative language things but like, so, but the logic of them is not consistent.
1: You can play G J I E, and that's a word. And I'm like, G
0: J I E, J it's I E. You can play J I E, oh, J I E, huh? And
1: I'm like, is this?
0: Did you look up what it means or you just know that you can play it? See, that's... I just was like, sick, 10 points. I was kind of joking about you playing online being cheating, but that's exactly what I mean, is online players are accidentally good. I feel like it's fundamental to Scrabble that you'd be able to use the word in a sentence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you can't do it, then you can't play it.
1: Yeah, but what word did you not let me play? It was like the first
0: one that was like a current word. Oh, uh, you, you tried to play fleek, I believe. Yes, I did. You can't play slang words. But see, again, but that's, that's
1: it's not a, a slang because it doesn't refer to anything outside of its own essence.
0: It's still slang. It's not, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is the problem is like when the Scrabble dictionary gets updated in 2021, maybe it's in there. Hmm, maybe. But I don't know how they, you know, I don't know how they do that or what they decide is okay.
1: Is it like a bunch of nerds going, like, we'll let that one go?
0: Yeah, I think it basically just comes down to in the Scrabble writers' room whether they like the word or not.
1: If it fits the brand of yeah, Scrabble, exactly, exactly, which is like, ugh, I want to play like a just colloquialisms, like just trash language.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people play with the understood house rule that, like, if you want to play COVID right now, that's fine. Or if you want to play, you know, yes, yeah, contemporary internet stuff, you can. Yeah. Do. Which I actually, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not amenable to that, other than
1: it's like that's it's, all the words that you're consuming already. Exactly. So like, it's
0: not that like, I don't know. It 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 deflates the challenge because you just have this whole reservoir of like garbage culture, yeah. That yeah, that you're consuming constantly, and it's like the first thing that comes to mind in some ways. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, but yeah. So anyway, that was that was yesterday. I got fucking walloped three times in a row. It was a yeah. big strikeout for me.
1: The level of I was moved to tears when I asked, "You cook them, right?" No. And then I was like, how did it get so big? I added more. And then I was on the kitchen floor howling and crying laughter because it's the dumbest shit I've ever goddamn heard of.
0: I mean, everyone I've talked to about this has howled and laughed at me. And I honestly don't think that I've seen you laugh so hard in a really long time.
1: You've seen me like like things when they get me. Oh, yeah. But that got me (laughs) in in terms of like the most like, you know, when you like your brain just goes, whoa. And then it explodes like the death star. Yeah. That's where I was at in terms of sanity break. I was like, this is not happening right now.
0: I have to tell you, I don't often feel like embarrassment on the podcast, but I'm like, I don't know. I really am ashamed of the incident. I can't explain it. I feel like I'm sorry guys. I'm smarter than this. I
1: promise. And then I taste my Franken monster and I'm like, did you salt this? oh and then i go motherfucking
0: fucking hell there was just a series of realizations that kept happening about like, dumb shit that i couldn't get like, my head around like
1: this is why like all those like when you said like core principles like i was like the core principle like when the the heat of the oven hits the seeps down into the garlic and you can smell it in the air and like the smell of a raw thing versus a mm, that smells closer to done like it's triggers in your brain that you have to learn Because, like, baking does this because you know the difference between fuck it's burnt and then "Mm, pull them out right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in in culinary terms, like, people that are good at baking are more sensitive to that. Obviously, like, people that are good at cooking in general also are. But baking requires that you be. Like, I've fumbled through my life by, like, more or less knowing how to pan fry things and getting Mm. away with doing almost exclusively that.
1: Oh, yeah. If you have to do the oven chemistry. Yeah. You have to not trust your site. Well, you have to anticipate what golden brown is going to be. Yeah. I know this is wildly interesting. Welcome to Food Talk. Right. But, like, it is it is a strange thing that, like, because I grew up baking. Right. Like, so I know, like, okay, so that won't work with that. you got to do this and this order. Blah, 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 blah. Like, all the technical stuff you just have to do. Otherwise, you're going to be like, why does this taste like shit? But I followed the recipe to the tea. And you're like, oh, I did that out of order because I wasn't paying attention. Right oh oops
0: yeah i don't know i guess like i guess i didn't really grow i didn't grow up doing anything like my dad cooked in the house and i learned some stuff from him but i didn't start cooking for myself until i was in college i guess oh i because all through my teenage years i was just eating wendy's and shit i didn't like ever need to cook
1: yeah i learned how to bake as a little kid and then baked a lot in college and grad school but i couldn't cook for shit and still kind of yeah. can't,
0: yeah, I mean, apparently I still kind of can't either, but <laughs> like like uh, the the thing that I'm ashamed of is I destroyed like all of my credibility with everyone I know, like mm-hmm. on a whole lot of levels, yeah. by like- re- basically revealing what a fundamental strategy of my life is, which is like basically give your best guess and you're gonna fail spectacularly, like one out of every hundred times, mm. but don't let that define you, okay, <laughs> that's my advice to the listener. <laughs> Take wild shots in the dark, all the while lording it over everyone else how smart you are. Yeah, and then and then, then it turns out you actually don't know much about it. Shit, fucking charlatan! <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ!
1: <laughs> no, I think well, the other thing too, like, you know, I'm I'm soup boy. Like, I love it. Like, because that's also planning flavors in advance. And yeah, adding see, times and stuff like that, like, I think in terms of that math. Yeah. But I can't really do a fry right because it's always, like, a little overdone because I'm, like, a little afraid because I can't see what's going on inside. But it's f- open flame. Yeah. So I can't, like, do that math of what's in front of me because I've learned not to trust my eyes. Right, right. Through the baking.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't... Um, I've always said that I'm not very good at describing tastes and smells. Like, I think I can describe... Yeah, I think I'm even better at describing, like, sound and especially visual things, but uh, olfactory has always been difficult for me, and mm. I think it's because I never really realized that you needed it. It yeah. al- Those always felt like superfluous sense- senses, like, even mm. when it came to my own cooking where, like, I would make fried rice and it would be a little fucked up, and I'd be like, well, whatever. It's not the best, but it's fine, and oh. I never, like, used that as an opportunity to improve.
1: Oh, that's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, no, you got to do that. Like, you fuck it up once, and then you go, what happened? And then you learn.
0: No, I prefer to just not really reflect on my failures and okay. assume that they had nothing to do with me. Uh, Maybe the rice manufacturer made it extra starchy this time for some reason. And that's why I... <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 Hold on. I. Why is my phone locking? I forgot.
0: Why don't you just why don't you just leave it on this setting? That's what my phone's on. You just lock it yourself when you're done with it. I can't be trusted. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, okay, well, I truly can't be trusted with technology to be
1: open all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh well, do you want to move on to the book portion?
1: Oh yeah. Welcome to Book Club.
0: Yeah. So it's been again, I cannot keep track of time at all. I feel like I read Mao two a month ago, but I guess it was a week ago. It was like two weeks ago. And you know, I just finished submission today, and Will read both books in that amount of time very quickly.
1: I read Mao two in two days
0: yeah, in approximately six hours. Uh But the way I kind of want to approach this mm-hmm. is that since it's unlikely that anybody in our audience read either book—maybe they did. I hope somebody did. That would be nice, but I doubt it. So what I want to kind of do at first is just give a summary of both books, and— talk about them more thematically rather than like a review or getting bogged down in like plot points and shit because no one's going to follow it Hmm. so hopefully we can just use the books as a jumping off point to a broader conversation that's my goal here
1: well i mean at the end of the day they're both books that are about the act of writing
0: okay yeah yeah yes yes before wait i'm sorry to cut you off but before we get too far into that can i just do the plot B- well, the basics I, I
1: set the stage that the reason why we're talking about them together okay. is that they they share like you have hollaback submission in one corner ding 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 and then in the other corner you got delillo mao too ding 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 fight but there's no fight it's just they're doing the same thing yes but you have an american sensibility and then a very f-
0: very <laughs> very french
1: sensibility in terms of the idea of a writer in culture
0: Yes, and, and I—right, you're right. And it's important to point out that the American book, the DeLillo book, was written in 1991, mm-hmm. and the Hollebeck book was written in 2015. I'm it pretty was sure. It was relatively it was
1: translated recently. translated and published here, I think, in 2017. That was the first time I ever saw it. But
0: that's only to say, from a historical perspective, you have one writer addressing basically, like, the circumstances surrounding the fall, of the Berlin Wall. And then you have another writer addressing the circumstances of, like, D- Donald Trump's election and, like, um, in Hallebeck's case, certain, like, is- Islamophobia issues in France.
1: Here's the thing. The French are always going to be fucking, like, xenophobic. I don't know. Like, that's that's not necessarily
0: specific to Well, we'll get, we'll, well, we'll get into that, but give me the publication date.
1: Uh, copyright 2015. Okay. Yeah. Translation copyright 2015. Oh, so they hammer that fucker out. Okay. Yeah. I think
0: Holbeck's a popular enough writer that his translations get done immediately. I don't think that they
1: really. Wait. I think he probably, uh, no, there's no, he didn't assist on the translate, which is odd.
0: You know what? Uh, we, well, l- let me do the plot thing and okay. then we'll get into that because I think you can tell that in the writing style. Yeah. That, that it's a translation, but, um, so Mao too, we'll do the, we'll do the older book first. Mm-hmm. Uh it's about a writer character named Bill Gray, um, who's struggling to finish his final novel. He's sort of the central figure in the book. But it also follows a photographer named Britta who is there to take Bill's portrait.
1: Not the drag queen, but yeah. Yes.
0: Um she collects portraits of writers. Um and Bill elicits her to come take his photograph while he's out in seclusion. He hasn't been heard from in twenty or thirty years since writing his last book. And a he's a very never, unabomber cabin. Yes, and never appeared in public. And so there's also a story arc with his two assistants um and his publisher. But the broader world of this of this novel takes place um concerning the rise of terrorism specifically in lebanon but all around the world yes um so in the background of the book is this constant dynamic between andy warhol and mao zedong
1: which would have okay so the publication date makes a lot of sense because andy died in 88 or 87?
0: Yeah, yeah. So so the sort of cultural backdrop of the book is this tension between this sort of American imagistic culture represented by Warhol and the photographer Britta on one hand. And that's a representation of sort of vapid individuality, I would Which say. Which
1: would be very late 80s, like power suit, like yes. power lunch, like douchebaggery.
0: And then on the other side is Mao Zedong and like the specter of communism and collective action. There's also like a cult in the background of the book, um,
1: which I thought there would be more about that.
0: Yeah, there's flashbacks, but it's like, oh, what? but yeah, but there's not too, but there's not too much. But um, and so I think that like the thread through the book is when the collective has failed on one hand. And the individual is failing on another hand. This is also represented by that writer character. He's struggling with his novel, remember. Um, that something else emerges and that thing is violence. And then terrorism rises up culturally in the wake of two opposing power forces sort of waning. Yeah. Is that yeah, a fair characterization? Eh-ish. Yeah, I mean. There's more to it than that. But let's let's do submission now too because I think a lot of the themes are similar. Do you want to try submission?
1: Uh. Okay, you got a writer man, don't remember his name, to be perfectly honest.
0: His name's Francois, but this is an important Mm. point when it comes to both books, is that DeLillo's book is written in the third person, and Hollebeck's submission is written in the first person. So the writer's name is Francois, but you don't run into that very much because it's written in I, I,
1: I. Yeah, and only in the addressing in like the social addressing like oh the, the, the. so he's an expert on hoisman's Pierre hoisman do you know anything Not about that writer goddamn thing
0: so just to say that's a 19th century french novelist r- roughly contemporaneous with like the impressionists and the symbolists influenced yeah. by both
1: like in the rimbaud kind of like our board, like that kind of world where everyone's like being experimental with their thumbs up their asses basically yeah to, for lack of a better word Um, I, it's basically a charting, uh, of a Parisian academic who is like, Hmm, I haven't really done anything with my life. And it seems like there's going to be some hostilities because of, uh, an Arabic sect taking over the Muslim brotherhood taking over political power through the use of a intermediary named Ben Abbeys.
0: Can I, can I clarify that? So again, to sort of set it up similarly to the way that I did Mao, like uh, the foreground of the book is following this academic. And in the background of the book is this political situation that will just described. It's this fantasy on Hallbeck's part that the uh, Islamic world is invading France, but in the, in the book it's presented very realistically as um, political machinations within like French politics.
1: Well, this is what I wanted to get to is that ultimately what you're charting along with that rise is the, the level of petty bureaucracy within the ivory tower. Cause it's all uh, basically around the Sorbonne and like, uh, you know, high, high a yeah. schools. Um, and then he tries to escape it, but gets drawn back in, uh, because he's chasing his, like, student that he was fucking for some reason. And then you're just like, okay, this, every well, novel. Well, before you get
0: too bored. Uh, I, part part of what that means is that, like, he's overcome with his, like, basal desires all the time. Meaning he's just, basically he realizes his only concern in life is fucking. And this makes him feel bad.
1: Like, writing and fucking, he's like, I'm disinterested in the otherworldly delights.
0: Yes. And he's aging, so sort of both things, his academic career and his sexual virality are disappearing from his life. Yeah. Um... And so, as part of his pursuit, this running away, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but he tries to escape his situation at the Sorbonne by chasing religion. So, he goes to the French countryside and gets involved in Catholicism for like a day, yeah, yeah
1: like a day to like repeat a Hoysman trek or what are they called uh well Pilgrim- he, it's like a esque like pilgrimage, pilgrimage. Yes. um and he's like oh this sucks i fucking hate catholicism like why am i with these dudes they don't even jerk off gotta go by like literally that's like i think a sentence um then goes back and realizes all of his like he's already taken retirement to not capitulate to the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood.
0: So at this point in the story, um, the, yeah, a, a Muslim, a, a Franco-Muslim politician has gotten control of the country electorally. It's not violent in the book. Well. There's, there's a little bit of it, but um, more or less this person is elected, and so they've transitioned all of the government systems and academia to conform to Islamic law. Critically, yeah. not Sharia law, but they're yes. but they're trying to institute, like, Muslim ideology throughout the school. So he can't be a professor anymore because he won't convert. Yeah. So now at the point in the story that we are at, he tries to fill the void in his life with Catholicism. It doesn't work. And upon return to the city... Catholicism and hookers,
1: which I'm like, yeah, right. that actually tracks. Um, So then he, after this, like, bout, all of his, like, schlubby colleagues who were bad academics and like you know seen as lesser men in in the writer's eyes um are living these lavish lives in historic apartments with harems of bitches and just living it up and he's like you know I think I could do it and that's how it ends he converts and you're done and you're like the fuck did I just go on
0: um that's a that's a fair characterization on one dimension because yeah. his superficiality is sort of um is satiated by his eventual realization that he can get what he wants through Islam. Um, but at the same time, he also has a spiritual awakening to it. He's legitimately taken with a certain figure in academia who gives him a book that he reads. And so there, there is a dimension to it, which is not only, um, base, but is also like sort of cosmic. He does learn a lesson at the end of the
1: book. Well, he sold it on his terms. Yeah. Because that person that wrote that was, like, a colleague who's a good writer. And then he can do the kind of floral writing that he buys into. Because when he looks at it, it's like, oh, that's very other. And it's like, oh, no, this is coming from my people. Like, it's it's a very, like, oh, if you put it in the French for me, I'll do it, no problem. Like, but when it's very othered, it's very, like, yeah, That's why the title is Submission. Like, how do you lull someone into quietude?
0: Well, and it's it's also the idea... He eventually learns this through his Islamic colleague that in Islam, the world is taken as such. So, you know, in other religions, like in Christianity and in Buddhism, even like the world is suffering. Mm. Right. You you enter the world a sinner and you suffer and you get divinity when you die. Uh, in Islam, at least the way it's presented in the book, I don't know a lot about this guy's is is that muslims take the world to be the perfect thing and so mm. you must submit to whatever happens in the world that is the uh central the centrality of your faith mm. rather than awaiting something you need to preserve this perfect world that's been made for you so you submit to that will
1: yeah but imagine also like that all that critical character development happens in about mm, 15 pages when you've already spent 160 yeah, yeah, okay. goddamn. Well,
0: I am I'm. I'm <sighs> I, I want to say one more thing, which is I'm a little bit worried that we didn't do a good job of explaining oh, both no. of these things. I think if you are interested in either of these books, obviously read them, but just do a quick little Wikipedia dive. If you want like a better synopsis on either one, Yeah. because I don't want to lose anybody
1: at, oh. at this point,
0: but we can move on to what did you think? Think of the two books. Because clearly you didn't like Holoback. You already told me. This.
1: But I already like I already I read I have the whole his whole compendium because like what he usually proposes is a future that's an absurdist hellscape that we're like, no it could never be like that. And then like, you know, every day that passes, we're just kinda like, oh, it's getting closer to that. Oh shit. Oh no. Oh, and this one, I'm just like, I don't know. Like, it was just written badly. Like, I just think, like, the pacing was trash, and it's like, ugh.
0: Well, I, you know, I don't know. I disagree with that a little bit. I think we alluded to it earlier, but I think there is a fundamental problem with the translation of this book. Based on what you read from the uh, title page, like, it might be because they rushed it. It doesn't seem like a very good translation.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's
0: not very generous to the original French, because you you can tell that because the, the writing seems too basic- it's yeah. not. It's 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 like reading Harry Potter on some it level. Bad. It doesn't. It doesn't have a lot of nuance. It moves quickly. I think
1: but... it was supposed to be written as a very like uh, what's it called? Very like call and response. Like this is what's happening in the world. Let's get it out. Get it out. Push yeah, it out. Push definitely. it out.
0: Definitely. That's probably on Holobek too. Actually, because he was probably yeah. like, no, it has to go to press. Right. And you're totally.
1: Like, well, Americans actually need like will want to hear this too. I'll, yeah. Translate it, and you're like. uh, you because like map in the territory is a beautifully written book
0: yeah yeah i wanted to ask you about this because i I, this is the only hollowback book i've ever read i I, and we'll get to it when we talk about mao more but i i've read a ton of delillo Mm -hmm. so i don't think you have no so this is your first delillo this is my first hallback but um yeah can you can you talk about like what you said a little bit before but like what his corpus is normally like
1: it's usually a shit show there's always a basil kind of thing of like great man wants to fuck and is frustrated by it. And then what gets in the way, whether that's academia or like a photography career or being a robot or having your, you know, sex Island, um, a lot of different things.
0: Um, but he always writes in this near future style. Yeah. Cause like this book submission takes place in 2022. I think.
1: Yeah. The near future is always just something that's around the corner that it's familiar enough, but it's, twisted in just such a way that you're like eh? no that can't be right yeah that I, can't be the future
0: i like that setup a lot in general i mean both david foster wallace and delillo do that too
1: mm. perhaps i don't in know. their novels yeah. anyway yeah i mean the map in the territory is beautiful even in english like the way i don't know if they spent more time it won more awards Well, that's than sort of this. his infinite
0: jest that's his magnum opus right i mean I, that's my understanding just researching hollbeck a little bit is that that's the one that's the best one. Yeah.
1: I don't think that encapsulates like I think the elementary particles is actually
0: like the best one. Um I think I tried to read that at one yeah, point I tried many to years ago. I, I would now. be more interested in it now.
1: Um but yeah, the language and this the pacing of Map mapping the territory is really beautiful. It's a, a kind of emerging uh consciousness. Whereas this is just like
0: hmm. Yeah, I think part of what way I mean on one hand, I was really impressed, especially at the end of the book, with the sensitivity with, with which he—and deft hand with which he dealt with, like, the political machinations in the background of the book and the treatment of Islam. Because the, like, um, rampant narcissism of the lead character and, like, what I know just echoed through culture about Hallebeck I was really worried that, like— it was going to be outright xenophobic and it wasn't. I thought it was a really sensitive treatment of the material and was really surprising in a way because you think this is all leading to disaster and it, and, and it actually wraps kind of beautifully for the character and for the world.
1: The end portion of it is closer to the way that most of the other writing is. There's just no middle. Like there's no yeah. arc. You have two dots and not even a line. You got one dot and another dot and you're like, how do we get
0: here? Part of me thinks that's intentional because the character is depressed. Like, there isn't really anything. Ha- it's a very quarantined thing. Like, there isn't really anything happening in his life because of the decisions that he's made. Like, the middle portion of his arc is nothing happens because nothing's happening. There. I
1: think, I yeah, I think it's, like, the most bored character and the most boring character. And it's also, like, the most limited character character because usually like in the other books you can catch these glimmers of Deleuze and Zizek that are just kind of like shoved in but very yeah. subtly this is like one writer and I'm like I don't know anything about fucking Heisman I don't give a shit yeah it
0: has a it has a very narrow focus on really obtuse things but like it, the, ti- the, the time period of literature that it's most invested in I just am completely ignorant well, of
1: I'm also thinking that it's closer to a criticism to ivory tower fuckheads.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Cause like he doesn't teach. I don't think.
0: No, the, the, the final, um, I mean, Hollbeck the, the like Sal. Yes. The salutation page at the very end of the book says, mm. s- is a short sentence that says like, I never went to college. Um, if my portrayal of academia, academia has any realism to it, it's due to this woman. And sh- and the book is dedicated to her. Oh, so you're right.
1: Yeah. I mean like, cause it's, it's a con it's a condemnation of like the world will pass you by if you just stay in an ivory tower and think that ev- you, if you don't care, if you're like, well, I care about my one thing and that's my whole career. If you don't care about the world outside, you're either going to flee it or just be a, a sheep person.
0: well you'll end up making some radical concessions that might not be very good for everybody else. Yeah. It's a really interesting critique on that level. Cause I think that's basically right. Like, um, Eric Weinstein talks about, like, the capture of science academia um, by moneyed interests Mm. in a very similar way. Like, the principle being that, like, scientists don't really do any innovative research anymore because that's not where the money is. So, like, as opposed to pursuing, like... um, a theory of everything, you, you know, because that's the main problem in the sciences right now is unifying quantum mechanics and general relativity into, oh, a, I in, into a single, well, I'm telling you, into a single equation. Mm-hmm. And so rather than pursue that project um, from many different angles that might lead to really good things for society, they pursue string theory, which is an unobservable, untestable angle, because it's an infinite well for capital. Hmm. So uh, this is a long way of saying that, like, I think this academic capture by other interests is a real thing and approaching it like from a French perspective in terms of xenophobia was Mm -hmm. a smart idea because what he's trying to tell you is like, you know, be careful what you do in the ivory tower. It's not just you. It affects everyone and you're being captured by something else. In this case, it's Islam. That's the fiction. But in the real world, it's, it's money. It's donors and yeah. like whatever. Like,
1: I mean, we kind of, we kind of witnessed this in terms of Robert Wood Johnson Johnson Johnson, the effect on Rutgers.
0: Yeah, where we, where Will and I went to grad school, um, you could very obviously tell where the resources were going because Johnson and Johnson had like a building on campus. Oh yeah, and yeah, you know, like like the the mixing of private interests and academia was like so transparent, it wasn't even yeah and even though it's a public university it's like
1: well it's the well you see a similar thing
0: too like um i was listening to a podcast with a guy that teaches at yale right now Mm -hmm. and he was saying that like they're making um every effort to not furlough or lay off any tenured professors or administrators Hmm. but everybody else is fair game from adjuncts to janitors to whatever so it's also Mm -hmm. this sort of in real, in the real world, it's also this sort of generational transfer of wealth where, where they're, like, hanging on to their ivory tower positions desperately to the point where they will hollow out their institutions to keep their tenure. But
1: those are usually funded by an endowment for those chair positions. Like, that seems insane. Because all those old people don't know how to use a Zoom. You know, I don't know. Like,
0: uh, it... The point is, huh. is well, like, think about it in terms of the quarantine, and, and I know you're being quippy about Zoom, but, like, that's the problem is, like, they're not invested right now in setting up, like, legitimate infrastructure for continuing to do classes virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, in fact, diverting resources from that which they should be doing into their own pockets to maintain their own authority. And it's this sort of... Incentive structure where it's going to collapse on itself eventually because if you have no students left to teach and no means to teach them, your endowment will run out. But they're acting as though it's infinite, so they can keep paying themselves one hundred and ninety thousand dollars a year. You know,
1: which is insane because, l- like, the strange thing is, like, I worked very hard to get tenure, and you're like, yeah, you did, and you just don't want anyone else to have that yeah, yeah. ever in the world. And it's like, no, oh, okay, wow, right. um, cool. So. When we roll through with the sharp thing on the string, I mean, you know. Yeah.
0: Line up. Yep. Um. um but to return to the books again. Yeah. So um, we can go back. We can yeah, flip let's, to Mal. Let's go back to Mal. That was a good talk on submission. Um.
1: The wild thing, I didn't realize it was written in 1991. Yeah. I mean, I kind of. Well, I should the...
0: say, actually, it was published in 1991. So likely it was written from the, the... late 80s perspective
1: yeah and i think like the funny part is like i mean the tell is like this photographer's apartment is in tribeca and she's like looking she's like yeah the twin towers i was like oh well i'm clearly in the 90s um but there's a scene where they describe walking through a warhol show that i was like this is the met warhol show from 2012
0: yeah or the one from the whitney from like 2016 it's no the
1: way the rooms were set up oh i see i was like the descriptions because i could like Hello, I'm a nerd for that portion, and I'm like, that's actually those room setups, like the way that they hung, like the printed wallpaper with a a crowd photo. They did the Gober wallpaper with a crowd photo, yeah, with yeah. a race riot. Uh huh. So I was like, you know about this?
0: Uh, well, I, I just as a way of contextualizing this, DeLillo has four four books that are considered his, I mean, he's a really prolific writer. I think he's on like 18 novels or something like that now, mm-hmm. but he has four that are considered like his very best um, underworld, white noise, Libra and Mao too. Mm-hmm. Um, and in each of those cases in different ways, but especially with Mao too, he has an, an uncanny prescient ability. Like he gets things right 20 years in advance
1: yeah i won well i think i you know i wonder if like that was you know looking at the that show in particular i'm sure that idea was pulled from somebody else or a previous exhibition and it looked like what he's describing
0: oh well and i think part of the mechanic of using warhol in the novel is that all warhol shows ultimately are kind of look
1: the same yeah but then describing the marina Ule walking on the that was beautiful, but, but like an unnamed, not naming them. Yeah, I was like, you could have just named them, but like I feel like it's a way to bring it back down to relatability. Because if you just said those two things, like it, it, that,
0: that's actually an interesting con- uh, contrast with Holbeck. Like, what made Submission kind of hard to read is that for me was that you constantly are bogged down in writers' names. And Mm -hmm. certain regions and stuff that if you want to have any context for it, you have to go look it up. But DeLillo is smart in his deployment of those things, especially if you think about it from the perspective of, like, the late 80s or 1991. Marina Abramovic and Ulay were not as big as they are now. Like, Marina Abramovic is legitimately almost a household name at this point. She was not that famous until the early 2000s. I mean, it would have been a really obscure reference to pull.
1: For anyone outside of,
0: like, cosmopolitan areas. Yeah, totally.
1: I mean... You know, in New York, everyone would know.
0: Well, even in at that time, because you have to think about it like they were only 10 years into their careers. There's plenty of contemporary artists that even for people that are pretty invested in it, that are 10 years into their career, that would if you name dropped it in a novel would make no sense to 99 percent of your readers. Yeah, fair. Um, But yeah, I think we should clarify really quickly, too. We're talking about the piece where uh, Marina Abramovic and Ulay uh, walk from either end of the Great Wall of China towards each other to break up. Do you remember the scene in the book? Because I remember the line, but I don't really remember why he was talking about that. It was towards the end.
1: Mm, no. Yeah. I th- the whole thing is very much about, like, missed understandings of other people in general, whether it's writer to the audience or assistant to the master or to the devoted to the cult or from the photographer to the subject. Like it's a whole series of like not seeing the forest for the trees. Yeah. At the end of the day, and like, I don't know the weird heel turn at the end. I was like, huh. Um, spoiler alert: your main character keels on a fucking boat, but then the guy he was supposed to replace
0: as a captive. Well, again, be- don't get bogged down in the plot too much because no but, one's going to yeah, understand know, what you are talking it, about. The- I, I think, I think the I think the interesting thing about what you are saying. R- relates again to the idea that one book is written in the third person and the others written in the first person. Yeah. The third person and the tracking of like five or six different characters that are all interrelated is sort of like a consciousness metaphor. Mm. Um, It's a way of, of looking at humanity as a subject rather than a, an human mm-hmm. as a subject. Um, so the writer and the uh, terrorists, and his and the writer's assistants, and the photographer all represent different aspects of a single person's like relationship to reality.
1: Yeah, but
0: and a, and a government's relationship to reality and a global relationship to reality.
1: Well, on a very one percent, like the publisher man, being the kind of guy who's like, yeah, I have my fingers in all these things. Because right. there's a line that's like, wasn't writing about drinking and fucking, and he's like, well, it was, but I have my sharp suit and fuck you like we're not doing that anymore yeah yeah um here we can go there's the more clearly we see terror the less impact we feel from art and i was like huh that's a good one uh
0: we yeah wait wait wait. That, that, that's worth talking about for a second because that is the thesis the thesis statement of the book in a certain way yeah. is that with the with the replacement of um, novels because DeLillo is a writer, but I think you could apply art to this in general mm-hmm. with a diminishment of art as a cultural force. Um, there's really nothing to replace that kind of religious spirit. This is also tracked in the Hollebeck book. Yeah, um, And when society in an American context collapses purely into individuality with no cosmic responsibility, no spirituality, um violence, comes out of that so when art goes down terror goes up
1: i i don't think that's actually the correlation i think the matter is the more you kind of see the transparency like which we're seeing now like it's hard to give a shit about a jeff Koons bunny right now when everyone is sick and dying or out of work or you know, being a dumbass in Michigan, whatever. Like, the more crystallized and more impactful an act of terror is, the less you care about the things that you uh, historically could seek solace in. So you can't see the art from its... You can't see the art's value anymore because your current situation is so dire.
0: Yeah, you know, I think... so threatening. I, I, I think you're right, and I and I take that point to a certain extent, but, like, the... um, There's, like, a sort of rotational looping dynamic between art and terror. Mm. But I, but I, which I think is what you kind of just described, but it also has the effect on civilization. Like it makes history turn in different directions depending on which of those things is relating stronger at the moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, think of like world war two monuments, men kind of thing where it's like at the end of the day, like, yes, the terror of the reality was awful, but like, People were like, "Well, we have to remind everyone that we have a human shared human history. We have to find these pictures. Yes, now, would anyone give a fuck? Well, right, you might care about whatever's at the Met, but like you you going to go to Chelsea and try and save a fucking anything well, and I, I, I think, don't know. i th- no, I
0: don't think so, and I think that I think that in our situation, our industry, meaning visual art and you know the institutions surrounding it, have done that to themselves they are subject to the same thing we were talking about before in academia as far as capture yeah. by capital um I, I know i know I sound like a broken record with that but i really but i really think it's true that like by basically um building art up such that jeff koons becomes the epitome of art or andy warhol yeah. and not perhaps like more meaningful but less um valuable in a monetary sense art yeah um we've driven ourselves to irrelevance
1: well we just declared anything that we just declared a lot of things kitsch because it wasn't traded or we horse traded a bunch of things and maybe there was value in them that no one cared about because the dollar signs were in the way
0: yeah and well and part of that is the emphasis on individuality in society like i think that's the other thread in the book that like as any collective action um in the case of like the Soviet union, when DeLillo was writing falls apart or in our case now, if you want to think about it with like Bernie Sanders in America or, you know, any... not
1: everything has to do with Bernie. Sanders.
0: Well, he, he's just the closest, closest contemporary okay. example. I mean, a, and the first emergence of that kind of a political sensibility in 30 years. So I don't in think America. Yeah. Yes. So I don't, I don't think it, it, I don't know. I don't, I'm sorry, I was but trying I don't
1: to make a funny point, but okay.
0: I don't think that it's irrelevant. Um, but as those things start to diminish and individuality is the only way that anybody relates to anything, person to person, or in a broader geopolitical space, there is no room for art. You yeah. can you can only have that through sharing and nobody gives a shit to share anymore.
1: No, because you just want to go to a Yeyokusama, Kusama, take your fucking selfie and move yeah, along your day. Exactly. Like you know, like this is the, the terribleness that has behooved all of these like spectacle rides. Right, like which we we saw the start of at that new museum show in like twenty thirteen.
0: Yeah, Carsten Haller's slide.
1: Yeah, the slide and the, all that shit. Where it's like, I just need to go and ride the rides. Like, well, that's great for expanding the audience, but what they're taking away is that it's about the sensation of it all. Yeah, and not in the Brooklyn Museum show version where it's right. like, this is, you know, whatever. Maybe, well, there was maybe some... that's the start of it. I
0: don't know. I think I think you could argue that like the YBAs were kind of the start of it. Um, and that show in particular, I mean, I think there was a certain like early nineties irony to the title, like obviously, mm. but I think they accidentally outed themselves, um, yeah. by making really, gl- by making glamor the core of art rather than addressing something critical about the human condition. And I'm not saying that about any of those particular artists, cause I think they are actually good, but I do think that they were marketed in a way, but it doubles down on the idea Sorry to cut you off. It, it doubles down on the idea that,
1: like, art should be scandalous and, se- like, sensational and, oh, like, we should be, like, it should be the salons in the late 1800s. Like, we should be uproarious. And it's like, I don't know. It's just a picture of the Virgin Mary, and it's sitting on some elephant shit. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, it's in beautiful. Re- what in retrospect,
0: how inoffensive, like, a Chris O'Feely is. Oh. But, but I was coming to the same point, which is that... it. it Even the term young British artists as a movement was just a marketing thing because there was no real thrust in art anymore. Movements had disappeared, so they had to be manufactured. And by deciding to do that, like, just through, um, I don't know, a completely artificial umbrella of sensation. You see the same thing with Neo Geo and other movements in the late 80s where, like, we need a way to tell people a story when there isn't one happening.
1: Well think about what was happening at that time so like do you remember cool britain as an as like travel thing no explain that like cool cool britannia or cool what like it's the era of spice girls and maybe it was a like a you know a british anniversary i'm not sure but like the whole idea of cool britannia like we got all these exports chupa chups you got a spice girl you got a uh ab fab you have all of this like cool english shit for some reason in culture and i don't remember why it's like a tourism board ish thing i don't know why were they hard up for money i don't know but like well in that era you also get in the same way like we exported abx we get the sensational like schlock
0: exported back absolutely that's a that's a really that's a really interesting point and and i think like um I think I have a partial explanation for that, which is that, um, yeah, like Britain did owe the world a lot of money because of World War I and World War II. They were still paying those debts. And much like... Into the late 90s? Yeah. I think the last World War I debt was paid off in the early 2000s. They're probably still paying World War II debts. Hmm. Um, hmm. So not only were they hard up for money, but like um, the deflation of the 70s affected the entire world. Um, the boom of the eighties was real for the entire world, but it also consolidated everything, much like is happening. When
1: now. was that one giant? Do you remember that one giant trans- transatlantic plane? What was that called?
0: The Concorde? Yeah. When was that? The Concorde was active from like the late sixties until the late nineties.
1: That so this might have been like the last gasp of like ride the Concorde, get the fuck over there kind of situation.
0: Uh yeah I mean I I think they were what my point was is that I think they were moving in the same direction that a lot of economies were it towards tourism and service industry and away from production yeah cuz they couldn't produce shit no and they and they had done what the united states did and outsourced all of that stuff to southeast asia so it was like a, it was a product of rebranding and the example of abex is really interesting to me because while uh The story around that, for those that don't know, is that like abstract expressionism, it's been more or less proven at this point, was like um, propped up by the CIA as a propaganda tool worldwide after World War II. We
1: were great thinkers, not backwater hicks.
0: Exactly. But not but not only out of this like self-indulgent spirit. It was to show the world like, look how much space we have. Look how much freedom we have. And if you think about what those (laughs) paintings look like. um... But those paintings barely fit in the spaces they were made in. Yeah, of course. That's You know. (sighs) <sighs> um, But so it's an interesting idea to me because like ours was like sort of a, a Cold War like psyop and theirs was a marketing.
1: Well, we also... It's really
0: instructive to the theme.
1: New York did that though. Sex and the... Like the whole idea of like the idea of the city as a character goes back to like F. Scott Fitzgerald. Pretty sure. Like that kind of like golden age, not like party time. Yeah. But then we just redid it. It with, like, Sex in the City, and we did it with the, the, like, downtown kids and the scene kids and even the movie kids. Right. Like, as a way to rehabilitate the image of New York as, like, battered by AIDS, poverty, and being burnt down a couple times. Right,
0: right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was going in the same direction to point that out. That, like, at a certain moments in history, as far back as F. Scott Fitzgerald, probably for all time, there are these... Sort of necessary moments where things redirect, but what I think is instructive about you know again ABX versus YBA is one is a marketing thing, one is a psyop thing. Yeah. Um. You know, like I I've, I've been talking to you off mic about watching Waco and Chernobyl back mm-hmm. to back. I think that was an interesting double feature for me because it demonstrates a similar problem. Like in the example of Waco, we ran a psyop on our own society, and in the example of Chernobyl, all the lies. Uh, collapsed in on themselves and Mm. you see two two different cultures relatively contemporaneous go in two very different directions Mm. where americans start um threatening inward and the soviet union collapses because it's finally exposed outward
1: Mm. Hmm. i don't remember what happened in chernobyl other, I mean, I know what happened at Chernobyl, but I don't remember. The that.
0: the the thrust of the show as it's presented in that series is that basically it came down to one or two Soviet scientists that decided to use the opportunity to dismantle propaganda and say, no, we have to tell the truth about this or too many people are going to die. Mm. And they did that at great personal expense to themselves, but it did contribute to the collapse of the Soviet Union.
1: Mm. Hmm.
0: That's why right wingers loved that show so much. Oh. Because it was sort of about like not only about exposing like the failures of socialism or whatever, but that the individuals behind it were the ones that triumphed over the system. Right.
1: Yeah. But they probably got shot.
0: Uh, yeah, more or less. The I guy mean, kills himself at the end well, well. because the party decides to ostracize him to an incredible degree.
1: Jared Harris. Yeah. Hanging himself again. Yeah. Poor bastard. Jared Harris is always dying. Oh, and everything okay. that he's, he's like, named. do you need a guy who's got to <laughs> hang himself at some point? I'm your man. Yeah. Just do that in a British accent. And that's, jared harris but like i don't know like mao too is written very like i had a very hemingway experience Interesting, it's very I've staccato only read one Heming- like hemingway. yeah DeLillo's and i was like like, Ugh. like i don't like i think in terms of fragments so i don't like reading them
0: yeah yeah um
1: like i i write that way like if i have to like little st- short stupids and i think that way because it's just like dot 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 make the web but i don't want to read it
0: I think um, my only thought on that is that I think the generation that DeLillo was a part of, um, like along with Thomas Pynchon and others, was doing an ironic critique of the beats mm. and people like Hemingway and Kerouac. So in in DeLillo's case, I think that style is supposed to put him in that tradition. But at the same time, I, I'm sure you must have picked up on it. like It is so dense through that fragmentation like Del- no, it's not dense it's just annoying well no i mean D- delillo's elusive ability with an a and attention to the way that words look on a page and the way that they sound is incredible yeah it's, i think it's, it's like more dense to be than red. you're giving yeah. it credit for
1: yeah i mean i was skipping portions when i'm like i got it okay okay. the the cluster of Oh, see, this are... is why
0: you read books so fast. I don't skip shit. What the fuck? That doesn't even count as reading the book, man.
1: Well, I wasn't like turning a page, and be like, got it. Like, if you're just like, boom, I'm like, okay, I get what you're doing. I'm tired of the trick. Moving on. I see. Okay. Like,
0: I, I still, I still think that that's not like a very good way of reading because it's sort of like looking at half of a painting and saying, like, okay, I got, I got it. I don't need to look at the other yeah, hand, which you also sometimes do. Sometimes I do that, too. So, yeah, like,
1: yeah. hi, welcome to my world. But I th- but
0: I think, like, yeah, I don't know. I reject that as, like, a looking strategy or, a, you know, a textual strategy because you're not really having the experience.
1: I was parsing for what I needed to know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand.
1: Again, when it's just like, oh, your trick. Not again. We're not doing this again. Like, I don't want to. Like, yeah, it, I don't know. I know I, it's, I,
0: it's, it's, it's very lazy. It is. But... I don't know. Because there's like a, a, uh, an accumulative effect of reading fragmentary lists like that. And you can... I understand that you don't want to participate in it. That you see it as a trick and Sometimes that, that's all re- there is to it. But.
1: Sometimes it's really... I just think like you can kind of tell like after the fifth one out of 12 that you're like, this is a half-assed one. Like I don't... Mm-hmm. Like it's not really like hitting in the way that like some of the earlier ones... Like there are some middling ones where I was like, I don't care like just move along
0: that's a fair criticism i i agree with you like
1: it's a much more lush and especially when there is like a sound quality to the words that you're like ooh alliteration num 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 like that actually hits in your brain and it starts to i don't know it starts hitting different cylinders but when you're just like oh yeah we got it but now let's don't give a fuck
0: yeah you know i think um well i think david foster wallace like he was talking to delillo the whole time he was alive they were like pen pals um and he's obviously really influenced by him and took a lot of the next steps that DeLillo didn't take like you know wallace is known for his like byzantine formatting and stuff mm-hmm. um, he really started to do what you hate to a very complex degree for example in his last unfinished novel there's an entire like 100 page chapter that's just an irs worker filling out a form and <sighs> it you know you would never get through it. This is why a lot of people never get through Wallace in general is that like the experience of being bored while reading it is like looping back on what it's about in an interesting way. So like, that's one of my favorite chapters of writing ever. It's not something I go back and reread because it is boring, but the realization that this is supposed to be boring you and that this person is bored is an interesting, I don't, I don't, I don't know many other forms other poetry. than novel uh, novels that can do that poetry does this sort of but po- but I don't know I don't know enough about poetry what do you mean like like I think like the Kenneth
1: Goldsmith kind of like lay it all out be bored by like a a stack of papers or like uh what's that one guy Charles Bernstein where it's like very long and you're just like this is very rote but it's meant to kind of actually put you in the place of feeling yeah. what the author is transmitting yeah i don't like that as a device i don't know why it's very effective yeah but it's a cheap trick i think
0: i don't know if it's a cheap i don't think it's a cheap trick at all i think it's actually like it's a really amazing one because there is a kind of telepathy that's happening with a person that you're not with yeah that may or may not be fictional but really what's going on is like you're interfacing with an like it's a mind meld and i know that sounds corny but it it's in me ama- it's an amazing thing that like paintings can't do that
1: But, like, if you're not in the mood to share a feeling with an author, which sometimes, like, this is why I think it's, like, I call it a trick. It's, like, you're sharing a feeling. You're sharing that. And if you're just, like, I want to be transported or I want to take a deep dive and I want something, you know, like, there's different nodes. And if you, like, accidentally are reading a novel and then you're put in that particular mind space, you're just, like, ugh, not right now. Like, truly, like, I don't... Could you imagine reading the 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 broom book? That was the last one, right? What was the last one?
0: The last one of what by who? Uh,
1: f- uh the Foster Wallace, the
0: broom. Broom of the System was his first novel. Oh. His
1: last was Pale King. Okay, imagine trying to read that I R S thing now.
0: Um, and it- you'd be like. Oh uh, no. Yeah, see, uh, th- this is actually really interesting difference between you and I, is that, like, I don't think I have that experience. When you said, uh, you probably saw it in my face. When you said, imagine reading that now, I was like, holy shit, that's a good idea. No, it's terrible. That would be so much... You're more... already feeling that. You want to feel it twice? Well, but I'm feeling it in a way that's distinct from what's being described. So mm-hmm. in what way would that change the experience this time? Like, you can do the mind meld again, and it changes every time. But that's closer to, like, seeing... And, and going real quick, going through a stressful boredom and reading about a very rote boredom would be an interesting conflation.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is why we go and see the same things at the Met. And like sometimes they hit, and sometimes it's like, I'm not seeing you today. You're right. You're right. I'm not going to that. I'm not going to go see the, uh, what's those like, the ladies in the wheat fields, the Poussins. Some days I'm like, I want to spend some time with those hosts. Some days I'm like, I know what you look like. You're not going to tell me anything new today, or I don't want to hear from you. Like, which le- excuse me, which leads to my next circled note. Uh, of course, of course, wrote we memorize works that serves as guides to conducting a struggle. In committing a work to memory, we make it safe from decay. It stands untouched. Children memorize parts of their stories their parents tell them. They want the same story again and again. Don't change a word, or they get terribly upset. Uh, this is the unchanged narrative every culture needs in order to survive. I was like, huh, that's interesting. This is, that actually kind of explains what I was describing before. Like I don't, some days I need to go see the, the people. Yeah. Some days I, you know, the Kelly is up and I'm like, hello friend. And I'm going to spend some time, but they're, you know,
0: I yeah, know I it's under, there. I, but... I understand what you're saying. I, I just think like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with going into experiencing Uh, something deciding which way I'm going to do it. Hmm. Like, I like to go in with an open heart every time. So in your Pusan example, right? Um, I'm still going to go up to it and try to grapple with it. And if it doesn't work pretty quickly, then I move on. But I don't walk around knowing today is not a day for Pusan. Hmm. I always try it first. Huh. Because I think that's kind of like what being a responsible viewer is. Because you don't know, or or rather like, I don't think it has to do with responsibility. I think it's that I don't know what I'm feeling at any given time precisely enough to make that determination. I might know I'm, oh, today I'm depressed and I feel like a hot dog. That's about as much as I know about myself. So I don't... That's a strange comfort. I don't have the ability to walk up to the Pusan and reject it out of hand. I don't don't, it doesn't. Oh, it just wouldn't even go. See, I wouldn't go. That well, room. I don't know how you know that is what, is what I'm curious about.
1: I mean, when you have an, like in that example, when you have an encyclopedia at your fingertips, sometimes you're going to see a specific portion of the encyclopedia. Sure. And sometimes you're like, I don't really have the, whether it's mental capacity or interest. You're just like, if I'm going to submit myself to a, All of, I don't know, what did I see the last time? I don't know. Whatever show. That's what I'm there for. And maybe I'll take a spin through X thing. Because I'm in the mood for that and it works systematically with what I have just seen. Potentially. Um, Like, when I saw Judd, I was like, okay, I'm here. Whatever. I'm going to just hammer through that. And then I'm going to go revisit the Amy Silliman room because there's no one here so I can actually see things. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do I do a version of the same thing. I think that everybody does, but um I guess it's not as ordered for me. Like it's a little more uh chaotic or entropic. Like I'll go see the show I'm there to see and then that will determine You're saying this too. That will determine what greatest hit I feel like visiting. Yeah. But I'll but since I'm at the Met and it's a rare experience in general, I'm going to go to the other five or six greatest hits, too, and at least try them
1: out. Mm. Yeah, sometimes. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It gets tricky. I don't don't know. Like, I'm trying to find a category or a label to put this under, because we're not exactly talking about mood, and we're not exactly talking about, like, connoisseurship or taste, Mm -mm. and we're also not talking about attention exactly, but it is around how do you determine what to pay attention to.
1: Or what you feel like paying attention to.
0: Like I don't But see to I, me but, that's an extra level removed.
1: Yeah. I, I like I I
0: understand the vibes you're throwing out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't mean? have a good way of saying Well it. let's work on it. Yeah. Like like that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to figure out is that once you feel a way about something, you've already made a decision. What's the yeah. liminal space between the way you're feeling and actually moving your feet to go see it? Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Because I because it's sort of back to the books in a way. I think yeah. that's what is very interesting to me about reading fiction is that once you picked up a book and started it in good faith, you're in that liminal space for the duration of the book. Yeah. And but a good never, book like, will put you there better.
1: Yeah. And I mean, have you ever like started a book and been like, not for me? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, it's rare because usually I will only read things that I'm like... I think that's right for right now. Yeah. Knowing a little bit about the world. Like, let's pull that. But like, like I don't trust for some reason, like, like New York times bestseller, like critical hits, like, unless it's someone like a writer or someone in culture who's like, interests aligned. And I'm like, I would trust that recommendation. But, like, when it's like, everyone's reading this, I'm like, this is trash. I hate this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, whether it's reading or anything else, I very, very rarely rely on expert advice. Mm -hmm. I think what you said about, like, if you already like the person writing the hot take, I'll take their advice a lot more seriously. Mm -hmm. But if it's just a general New York Times... Like shotgun blast of here's ten great books. Yeah. I don't give a shit about any of those books. In fact, I have a reflexive reaction where I go, now I don't want to read these.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's that one guy Shaban or whatever, The Adventures of Cashews and Clay. Where, like, that was, like, everyone's, like, you have to read it. And it's the same thing, like, with, with like, Jonathan
0: Leatham, where it's, like,
1: he's so great. I'm, like, this book is
0: boring. Yeah, 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 I remember. This book sucks. Yes, yeah, I know what you mean. You know what I th- We were running into this a lot when we would ask people about Tiger King, our guests, because it was basically divided along these lines of, like, people that are willing to watch it because it's a phenomenon and people that are, like, because it's a phenomenon, I'm definitely never going to watch it.
1: But, like, and that's fine. Like, I don't, I, I don't think you have to, like... Again, this is what the third episode in a row. I just ask it because I'm like, well, we need to segue, and here's a yeah. here's the thing. Let's move around. But like, when there is a kind of pan flash zeitgeist, not an actual one, yeah, because it's really just a peak in attention that's going to be forgotten. It's the same way, like every time Stranger Things comes out, everyone's like, yeah, I saw it, and then like, can you tell me what happened? Right, there's like, absolutely later, zero like, cultural. Fuck memory no, of I it. got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, you know, that happens, and that's actually more interesting that's oddly more interesting to me the like collective fog of non-memory that we all consume it like it's halloween candy and it's fucking gone right right like but that's how we experience culture now
0: which is un- which is really unfortunate right because yeah. because back to that idea of the liminal space between deciding and feeling something yeah. right like so in the tiger king example you know i watched tiger king i guess i would fall into the camp of i watched it because it's a phenomenon but I went into it in good faith. I didn't watch it as a consumable thing. Yeah, I watched it because someone on on a podcast I like said, hey, it's actually nuanced if you think about it. And I said, okay, like that's enough of a tip to want to check it out. And I watched it through that lens of like, wow, if you really think about how many cameramen they had to have and the timing of this, I watched it from a perspective of production and I mm-hmm. thought it was interesting. Um. But my point is like, I don't want to be the type of person that falls into either of those camps. I don't want to do things out of consumptive attitude and I don't want to do things out of reactionary attitude. Mm-hmm. I think that's like actually what a healthy mindset is. Yeah. I Does that mean, make sense? Yeah.
1: I mean, it becomes this very like, it becomes this kind of thing where you're just like, let's use this as an example because it's shared in terms of timeline. Like, So imagine like you're in, you're in eighth grade. Yeah britney spears is out you're just like this is a bop but i don't i don't want to be like girly or like admit that i listen to like pop shit or like when you're a brooding teenager you have to have the stupid joy division t-shirt instead of like listening to like whatever trash with like saying that you like uh i don't know i actually don't remember any smash mouth or some some trash Yeah. yeah yeah um you know like whatever trash is on the radio like you have to like possess the amount of cool and like i think in this time frame like there is a certain level of like we're seeing the weird strains of desperation of trying to maintain some semblance of cool by like i don't know presenting
0: or rejecting a given piece of material yeah yeah
1: because we're all consuming the same material because we have the same pool of four video resources and like seven websites right you know like and then it's it becomes a stance to reject interacting with any of it yes which unless you have like a critical reason just to be like i don't want like i don't wanna like that's not on brand no one cares about brands like but the personal brand idea going back to like this the individual identity like we're we're beyond that now I don't know what to tell you.
0: Well, yeah, that's part of what's interesting about talking about these books or just this conversation right now, is that I think you're right about having a semblance of cool anymore doesn't really make any sense. I think this is the time to be the most embarrassing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is kind of like a, you know, like, I don't know, like, this should go unsaid, but, like, this is why people are cutting their own hair and doing, Mm like— stupid facial hair or like whatever like be your worst self when there's no one around to inflict your worst self on <laughs> like well and it's 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 really is that bad
0: i don't know like well what it is is revealing about you that you say it's your worst self when i would say that it's your, it's your real most self. it's your most honest self yeah.
1: because you're not s- protecting your, again the brand identity self yep. which is like who has time to- if you have the delusion that that matters now. Right.
0: I don't know what to tell you. Well, and what's complicated about it is it obviously doesn't matter in the present. And I think most people know that. Um, But I think people are hedging their bets in a certain way because even though the old world's not coming back for a while, it's going to look like it's back. And I think people want to maintain sort of their social capital in the interim
1: But I think, like, when things are back, like, if you behave as though everything was the way it was, like, everyone's going to look at you like you have
0: three heads. You know what, though? Get ready for that. I I, I honestly think the people that are going to dominate in the next two years are going to be people that pretend like the pandemic never happened. Delusion. Delusion. Well, and I think the responsibility to reject that falls on people like us that won't be able to interact with that in any meaningful way other than rejection of this delusion. But there's going to be a lot of collective delusion in the next couple of years, and it's going to be really eerie. Well, because it's going to be a lot of self-soothing. Well, the people that are most eager to get back to society— are the least likely to soothe anything because they will pretend like there's nothing to soothe.
1: Oh. Yeah, delusion. Yeah. I'm, I I don't know. I think that's that's unfortunate is the the nicest way to say it, but like contemptible is the
0: next step. It is contemptible, but unfortunately I think those are most of the people in positions of power. That's why I think it's an interesting conversation because how many how many people that are properly self, self-soothing self and allowing their authentic selves to show are going to be able to maintain that when power goes back to, quote, normal? Mm. I think it's incumbent upon people that feel uh, empowered by this tragic situation to make sure you maintain that when we're through here. Mm. And I'm very skeptical because... That's just my nature is pessimism, that people will be able to do that at scale, uh, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good retort to that. No, there's, noth- there's nothing to retort, I guess. Yeah. Not, you know, what do you make of that, if anything? I. This is why I brought up, like, that, that C-Sal. Yeah.
1: Like, it's just like, what the f—why are we trying to do this cute—like, why are we even—why are you trying— it's it's the old mean girls thing of why are you trying to make fetch happen now? No one gives a shit about fetch. No one ever <laughs> did. What the fuck? Like this is insane. <laughs> like I can't like believe that you want to push like cute verbiage, like sweet green verbiage into the world. Basically, is what I'm saying. Like that kind of that kind of late twenties, early thirties, like. I have my cute loft in Greenpoint or Williamsburg because I can't go that far because then it's just scary because it's off of the not on the L. Like get wrecked. Like I don't know what to tell you. Well,
0: you're what's... not going to have your marketing job anymore because well, well you, the thing that's scary about that is that those people are working from home right now and their reality hasn't changed very much.
1: But this is a Holobeckian kind of problem. Yeah, they're in their small towers, affecting. Really banal shit and trying to pretend that nothing is happening outside their window when everyone else is like, the fuck are you smoking? And are get, you insane? Yes. Are you high? Just tell us you're high and then we'll actually be like, oh, okay, you're cool. But you're not. You're like, no, I wake up at six and then I do some cardio and then I fucking get to work at my MacBook Pro and you're like, shut the fuck up.
0: <laughs> um, but I, I guess the point that I'm making here, that was very astute, but I guess the point that I'm making here is if you're not one of those people that's waking up at six in the morning and just being gung ho about all this bullshit, um. do not accept the authority of the people that are doing that. Do not do that. But, like, I mean, like, I get... And I'm very... This is my concern. Yeah. Is that the rebelliousness that's really easy to feel when nothing is at stake is much harder to maintain when there's a lot at stake. We were having this conversation last night. And we yeah. can't really talk about it. No. But it's related to that. Like... There's going to be a lot of tough choices for all of us coming up, and I think the more introverted people and um, smarter people are going to have a lot on their shoulders in the next couple of years. And I'm really worried that we're not that well equipped to, like, manage it.
1: Well, I do think, like, you know, I have a friend who is working from home, and she's just like, I have, like, a lot of work to do, and I don't know why.
0: And it's like because you're that? the only jobs left in the economy. That's why.
1: But well, yeah, well, it's that. But it's also like you know, like if you're feeling pressure, like uncentralized pressure to perform, it's like that's when you sit your boss. You know, you look at your boss on you screen like, what the fuck? Nothing's going anywhere for the entire world right now. It'll be done, but you need to cool your jets. Yep. Like the like everything will get slower, and I don't think. Again, hashtag hustle culture is going to be really ready to grapple with the fact that they will be reject the speed by which they have been trained to, like, be, like, performative dogs. Yeah. Like, for higher up powerful people that they then enact on lessers. Like, truly, like, you're going to try to pedal something that everyone's going to be like, no, we're, we can't. We don't want this. Yeah, we don't want this anymore. We don't want this at that speed. We'll right. do it a little bit more... It's going to get a weirdly like woo-woo in this, not the woo girls way, but like, like we'll, we'll feel it out. We'll kind of pace it at a more natural
0: rhythm. Like that's very optimistic. I I hope that that kind of, um, fluidity and slowing down permeates society to enough of a degree. I'm very worried that it won't though. I mean, I'm saying that as someone who's very privileged right now to just be like,
1: getting fun bucks and like no responsibility. And I can say like, you know, I look towards my future and I'm like, we're going to have to slow down just logistically. You're just going to have to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And like, I don't know. Like it, that's, that's been the same for me too, because yeah. we're in almost identical positions work wise right now. Yeah. And it's not that it's not that I hate working. It's not that I hate responsibility, but the realization is all over me that, yeah, you got to slow down, dude, or you're going to die. Yeah. I mean, like, like whether that's a spiritual, you know, whether that's literal or figurative, it's like, I can't do this anymore. So no matter what, I don't know what I'll do, but whatever situation I enter into will be with the ethos that like, Hey, uh, we're not going to do anything fast anymore. I, yeah. And yeah. I
1: think like, cause like even the idea of like, you know, at the start of this, I was like, wait, you're taking my email away. And they're like, yeah, by law for furlough, you can't have an email. I was like, right. what? Because we're just, like, prone to be like, I need my fucking email, and I'm going to check it compulsively, obsessively, like, 30,000 times. Nah! And you take it away from me, I'm going to kill somebody. It's like, well, you know what's it's nice? It's 9 o'clock in the evening. Haven't looked at my phone except to throw a buzzer out. Right. Um, and why did it lock? That's new. Okay. It shouldn't. Um, like, that's nice, not to have that compulsive, like, I care about work all the t- It's like we might actually do that thing, that weird like French thing where it's like, well, you're not working. No one can send you an email. And If anyone responds to you, they can get fucked.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is sort of back to what we were talking about with the books, but I'm concerned that like individualistic American culture will not allow for that to happen. I think the economic reasons I've like hit over the head a million times. They don't need to be reiterated. But yeah. I also think that there's a basically like... um societal spirit in this country that is going to do everything possible to get back to hyperspeed. And, and this is my, but this is my, here's my, here's my further concern is that like we can talk all day about how healthy it's been for us to realize you need to slow down and how maybe a lot of people are going through that. Mm -hmm. But we are also going to have to fight to slow down. And that contradiction is what I'm really worried about, because how do you maintain the ethos of a healthier lifestyle at the same time that you're having to, like, take a chainsaw to all the extroverted maniacs running around that just want to run, 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 run? Yeah. We're going to have to fight and maintain our cool at the same time, like, very zen like monk thing of like I'm calm cool and collected but I am fucking up a room full of 30 of you right now blindfolded but like everybody's got to get on that level this is what (sighs) I mean like I think when
1: the chain reaction from the very ground of like you can't you can't put the engine in hyperspeed if it's a bunch of porgs just bouncing (laughs) around yeah porgs being like people on the ground going like no like we're not buying what you're selling right now because we're going to because this is capital like we're not going to buy anything right now we just went through a time of uh no monies like we're not going to jump right back into getting that machine running like we will want a job but you know what maybe i do have to take care of my family members like actually i'm only going to take a part-time job or i'm going to not do i'm going to not engage or go back to school like because you know, I told you one night, I was like, do I have to learn how to code? Right, right, Like, right, I don't right. know. Is Everybody's this feeling that yeah, too. Yeah, like, maybe that's a thing. Like, there will be a vacuum of people who are like, I shan't engage. Alongside people who are like, I don't have the material funds to engage.
0: Totally. Uh, unfortunately, this is the pessimistic side of that, is that the incentives are such that the people that truly don't have a choice um, will not have the will to fight the hyperspeed they will be forced to go right back into it and increase the ranks of the hyperspeed folks because they don't have a choice. And those of us that do have a choice have to make the choice I mean, to be poorer and reject the unhealthy attitude of acceleration.
1: See, I'm not down with this be poorer thing. But, You're going to uh, have to be. Like but, That's the reality of it.
0: But I
1: do think like with... With what, like, I I think is happening in people's personal freakouts, like, on these higher levels, like, as much as they're trying to work, they're probably, like, at some point they're going to have to just, like, Jesus take the wheel the moment and be like, you know what? There's nothing I can do right now. And that's going to be a strange acceptance where our culture is, like, figure it out. And when the question is, there's nothing to figure out in your world, you're not a doctor. Again, it's not rocket science, riot, uh, rocket scientism, uh, <laughs> and title, and you are not a heart surgeon. Calm down. Yeah. Calm down. Just like, I, I think that's a hard realization that people are going to, like, I've had that conversation in retail where I'm like, are you curing cancer right now? But, but
0: are we curing cancer? <laughs>
1: right. No, but you're not making it.
0: Okay. But what's the problem? Well, th- this is interesting because I think that you are a leading uh, a leading expert in this field. Your management style in your professional life has been doing this for a long time in a weird way. Um, I think for a lot of the rest of us, we're going to have to learn your skill set in in a certain sense. Because you, let's use the speeder ups versus the slower down binary again. If you're a slower down person, you're going to have to realign the incentives of the fast people. Mm-hmm. And there's strategies for doing that that I don't feel well equipped for. But mm-hmm. I think everybody should think about that. That Find yeah. find people in your life that are good at talking manic people off the ledge.
1: Oh, uh, fucking black
0: belt. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wink, wink. And learn from them how to do that. Because that's that's going to be a critical skill in the coming days, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I had a conversation, like, what is this, like, a month and a half ago, like, where I was, like, s- describing someone as, like, you know, sweet as pie, dumb as a box of rocks, and then the response was, "We're," she literally said, we're not fucking doing open heart surgery, are they nice? Keep it, like, yeah, yeah. done. I was like, wow, I just got this mirror back to me, and the first time I was like, oh, you're cool, all yeah, right, yeah. like... High fi- Like, it was very strange to, like, finally have someone who's like, I like the speed, but we don't have to be assholes.
0: <laughs> right, And right, I was right. like, oh, yep. we
1: can set you on the golden path, dear. Like, it's fine. Come with me. Like, we're going right. to do this together. Like, it was kind of cool.
0: Right, because none of these things are truly binary. It's a spectrum. Yeah. And so, right, you, you know, everybody has aspects of both things. Like, try to figure out to the best of your ability where you are and who can pull you in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, like... Extend that to other people like I don't know I like after a conversation yesterday I was like and we've talked about this before where I was like I should just open an HR consultancy for every gallery and just be like hello you're all bad at this and you could all be sued if anyone had balls and wasn't afraid yep yep truly like you know that's
0: that's an interesting challenge for you but what you're going to have to dismantle is an entire industry that's built on fear Um, that's a really different challenge than doing that on an individual level. Yeah. But the thing is, you do know how to do that, but now you have to scale it up, which requires a different kind of learning. You have to get interested in, not in the organic learning that you're able to intuit, but in the systemic and technical side of it. Oh, which I think is fun.
1: You The technical part is kind of fun.
0: Will, I think we have hours and hours of recorded evidence (laughs) that you do not (laughs) think that that is true. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it tickles me I don't think it's fun It does tickle me in a way but you know. It does
0: But yeah So That's where we are um, This episode is really This really, is really long This is really fucking long It was a good conversation though yeah. I'm very proud of it Can uh, we end it with the unboxing? Oh I forgot you were going to do that Yeah let's do that Describe the size of this fucking box So I'm looking at maybe a box that's like 10 by 7 by 7 inches. Five by f- 5 by 5 And
1: yeah I don't know
0: it's a, it's a box that's about the size of like um a really old school clock radio or something.
1: What kind of size ass clock radio? Like from did
0: the you 60s ha- or something. It's a it's a horizontal boxy box. It's the size of like a smaller than a Tide box. That's a better example, yeah. I think Andy Warhol Brillo box callback, but smaller. Okay. This this size box I know what's in
1: here, so this is why I'm appalled by this. <laughs> it's a face mask the size of Jesus Christ, an iPhone Max or it's... like a Galaxy.
0: Oh, my God. It's... With this, this little air pocket. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this giant box and out comes a thing the size of a postcard. The size <laughs> and thickness of a postcard was packaged it's... in a box that could have fit conservatively 200 of those
1: uh 50 okay
0: fine <laughs> i i know because i know what they look like in their uh you know but you ordered one of those and it showed up in a box that big yeah guys this, this is, is
1: this is the problem of late stage capital yes i placed a 300 hundred dollar target order i think it's all going to come from minnesota in one giant ass box oh no bitch it's coming from five different warehouses all over god's green goddamn earth And this one fucking thing was related to nothing else in the order.
0: So listen, folks, if you're out there and you're a single face mask and someone is asking to pack you in a box full of hot air uh, that's three times as big, you need to stand up and tell them (laughs) no thank you.
1: (laughs) Although I am looking forward to, you know, I'm ready to have my spa day to throw this on in my robe and really live my best life. But, you know.
0: Well, that's a topic for another podcast. I'm sure we'll get into your robe and your spa Uh, another day. But we need to sign off. It's really long. Is it two hours? It's a 140. Oh, fuck. Bye. (laughs) Bye.